2: One of the most watched cable news programs in all of the United States is rewriting the history of January 6th, defending the violent mob that attacked the Capitol, and they are doing it with the explicit aid and support of the highest ranking elected Republican in the country. Last night, Fox News' Tucker Carlson aired his first exclusive report showing security footage from inside the Capitol on January 6th, footage that Carlson was given access to by Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. We are not going to show you all of Tucker Carlson's defense of the January 6th rioters here, but this is a sample of what the Fox News audience heard last night.
3: Very little about January 6th was organized or violent. It was neither an insurrection nor deadly. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. They're there because they believe the election was stolen from them. The protesters were angry. They believed that the election they had just voted in had been unfairly conducted. And They were right. The 2020 election was a grave betrayal of American democracy.
2: The insurrection wasn't deadly. The rioters were peaceful. Oh, and by the way, let me just go ahead and take this opportunity to spread some more information about the 2020 election that my news organization is currently being sued for promoting. That was what Fox News broadcast last night. That was what the Speaker of the House made possible last night. And the charade is ongoing. This was from Tucker Carlson's second broadcast on the same subject earlier tonight.
3: We haven't answered every question about what actually happened on January 6th. Far from it. There's so many mysteries from that day. But one thing we know for certain is that the story they told you about it, a pat tale of good versus evil, an insurrection with no guns that took place at the U.S. Capitol. Those were lies, and they were lies told for a very specific purpose. Of course, the people in power wanted more power, and they got it on the basis of those lies.
2: Essentially, this is how Tucker Carlson is attempting to whitewash the crimes that were committed on January 6th. Play footage of rioters trespassing on the Capitol grounds, but not engaging any violence. Play footage of police officers shepherding those rioters around in an effort to get them to leave the Capitol. And then assert that because police weren't arresting the rioters on the spot, that the claims of an insurrection are all hoax. Except, despite whatever footage a Fox News host has cobbled together to make his point, the American justice system has been very clear about what happened on January 6th. It was a crime scene. People who participated in the storming of the Capitol broke the law, and many of them are now in jail. The Justice Department has arrested around 1,000 of the rioters since January 6th and charged over 300 of them with assaulting, resisting or impeding officers or employees. Over 500 of those rioters have already pleaded guilty to the crimes they were charged with, including, by the way, the so-called QAnon shaman, whose actions Mr. Carlson spent a lengthy portion of his broadcast last night trying to defend, despite the fact that the QAnon shaman has pleaded guilty and been sentenced to 41 months in prison. Those charges and convictions are not a confection of the fake news media. They are not an invention of the Democratic political machine. That is the American justice system at work, something Republicans in Congress appear to have forgotten. Congressman Mike Collins, Republican of Georgia, tweeted in response to the Fox special, I've seen enough. Release all J-6 political prisoners now. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene responded by saying that the QAnon shaman deserves a retrial. Senators Mike Braun and Josh Hawley praise Tucker Carlson for getting the truth out.
3: Senator, just your reaction to the release last night of the Capitol security video uh, on Fox News. Do you think that Tucker Carlson handled it appropriately? I think he did. I actually watched about half of that. And I think whenever you're pushing
0: transparency, that is a hard argument to be against.
3: I think it's great. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. And I hope that McCarthy will release all all of the info to everybody so it can be out in the public domain. I think the the January 6th committee has deliberately tried to create the impression that um, most folks who came here are terrorists. And that's just wrong. And I think a lot of this footage disproves that.
2: Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a man who was fearful for his own life on January 6th, is the reason Tucker Carlson has been given license to try and convince the American public that January 6th was merely a chaotic sightseeing excursion. He knows personally what went down that day, and presumably he remembers that it wasn't just a bunch of tourists in strange hats looking to take selfies in the Speaker's lobby. This is what he had to say for himself this evening. Do you regret giving him this footage so he could
4: whitewash the events of that day? No. The
5: Capitol Police chief said that what aired
6: on Fox News was cherry-picked. He said that it was misleading and that it was offensive. Do you have any concerns about anything that aired?
0: Look, I, I didn't see what was aired. What I uh, want to do exactly is give the transparency to everybody and everybody can make up their... <laughs>
2: It is maybe shocking to see one of America's two major political parties working hand-in-glove with one of America's largest media organizations to mount a defense of the people who attacked our very seat of government. But that is where we are. Joining us now is Ben Smith, editor-in-chief of Semaphore News and former Missouri Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. It is a treat to have you guys on set for this insane moment in American politics. Um, Senator, let me start with you. It is predictable in some ways that once Kevin McCarthy decided to give this footage to Tucker Carlson, he would spend his time running it through the Fox News propaganda machine and create what is his version of an alternate reality. But I wonder if even still any of this surprises you.
7: Well, it it gives me a headache. It's it's um, it's so hard for me to get my arms around the notion that Tucker Carlson is actually trying to tell America that they didn't see what they saw. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not like this is something that happened somewhere far away and we didn't watch it live. Right. Most Americans remember that day, most Americans were glued to the television set, including Tucker Carlson and all of the other cable hosts at Fox. And they were texting and saying, get him to do something. This is terrible for his legacy, for our country. So in the moment, we all felt it. And to this day, most Americans still do. And the fact that he thinks that he can do this Mm -hmm. just shows how calcified that bubble has become around the two to three million viewers they count on getting every night.
2: You know, Ben, it's a it's a test as much as anything of Carlson's narrative power, isn't it? That like he's trying to effectively, as Senator McCaskill points out, recreate the events in people's minds. I mean, can that be done? We know that Fox is an important cog in this sort of conservative media machine. But but can they successfully convince their viewers and the American public more broadly that what we thought happened on January 6th didn't actually happen? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't
4: think so. I mean, there's just the sort of who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes quality to this, <laughs> that there may in fact have been people wandering around with funny hats taking pictures, but we also all saw the people breaking down the doors and trashing yeah. the list. Um, but also, but I think part of what's happening, I mean, part of it is, you know, telling Fox's, as you say, fairly ultimately narrow audience what they want to hear. And part of it is trolling us, right? Part of it is his delight watching this segment and yeah. in, as, as, you know, they put out something that they know is false. And I think so, maybe some of their audience knows is false and also thinks it's kind of funny that they're doing that and, you know, forcing everyone to react to them. I think that's always been sort of part of Trump's shtick and part of Tucker's. Yeah, it's uh, really well, yes,
2: owning the libs is definitely yeah. paramount and, in terms
4: of the mission. And but, lying to dare people to call you a liar. Yeah,
2: but it does have its effect. And I guess the, a question is also, what does the Republican Party do, right? I mean, now I will say, Republican Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina said he thought it was B.S., Tucker Carlson's segment. He
7: actually said the words.
2: Yes, he did. And I can't on this family program. He (laughs) did.
7: He did exactly like Attorney General Barr did. They both (laughs) called it the same thing. Yes.
2: Uh, And Senator Lindsey Graham of Carolina, we don't want to whitewash January the 6th. And then there is Mitch McConnell. Let's hear what the Senate minority leader had to say.
3: My uh, concern is how it was depicted. The chief of the Capitol Police, in my view correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand on January 6th. So that's my reaction to it. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks.
7: Does
2: that surprise you?
7: No. In fact, I am not surprised that the normal Republicans in the Senate. First of all, remember Alex, they lived this. Yeah. And what I really wanted in that segment where the reporter was talking to Josh Hawley, I really wanted that reporter said, say, "Well, why were you running why so were you fast?" Running? Yeah. "What were you running from? The tourists that were taking pictures?" Exactly. So, it doesn't
2: the A and B do not. They do they, not they A just, does not lead to B. They don't mesh.
7: Yes. And I think because members felt so emotional that day. And they remember the fear. They remember the uncertainty about their safety. They remember how scared they were. And the idea that Tucker Carlson would rewrite this and make it like, just another day at the office, I think it was offensive to those who still have a conscience.
2: Well, and I think there's also the question of the very basic political question of, do they really want to be in the business of relitigating January 6th? It wasn't a good data point for Republicans on whole, right? And thus far, they've stayed away. It's been almost a third rail. They have not talked about it. And now they are forced to because of one of their own, Tucker Carlson.
7: Yeah, don't you think they're trying to distract from the lawsuit stuff a little bit? Don't you think the timing of this is probably, because Rupert Murdoch is probably saying, "Well, this probably isn't great, but on the other hand, it's probably better than everyone focused on all the documents that came out today."
2: You Do you? Know, does I mean? Don't you go right back to the? I went back right back to the lawsuit because the lawsuit is all about you know recreating what happened in the 2020 election and promoting the big lie, and here we're doing it all over again.
4: Well, and specifically, what Tucker is navigating tonight is the you know Dominion has been very carefully releasing the most embarrassing sets of yes. quotes from Tucker Carlson over the last couple of days talking about how much he hates Donald Trump, among other things. Yeah. And that's a real potential problem for him with this audience that he is incredibly focused on retaining. And so I think he's bending over backwards to show those people that he is with them. Whatever you read somewhere else about how much he hates Donald Trump.
2: Interesting. So you think this is, you don't, you think they're related. Do you think that the, the, the I mean, dominion, the revelations, and we're going to talk about them in the next block, hopefully with you, uh, are related to this overcompensation here in terms of the narrative around January Yeah, I mean, 6. they're in a
4: state of panic and crisis at Fox around this very scary lawsuit. And, you know, and if, if my internal emails or your internal emails were being splashed all over the place, you'd be pretty focused on that. And so I think it's, you should totally interpret everything they're doing in light of that right I mean, now.
2: my internal emails are nothing like no, no, what no, they just, they just, but just no, to be clear. Yes, yeah,
4: so you, you would not, it would, yes, they, I, I, <laughs> they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't be that bad, but it's still like, that's certainly what they're focused That's on. That's right always in, their,
2: in front of mind. Do you think, I mean, what happens from a media perspective here, uh, Ben? Because Fox has these things. Other media organizations have also requested them. What is the future of this 40,000 hours of capital footage? I mean, are, is everybody going to, is Newsmax going to have their version of January 6th?
4: I mean, I assume at this point, I mean, these are fundamentally public documents. And obviously, Tucker and um, and McCarthy are talking about transparency. And there's at that point no argument not to give them to everybody else who asks for them. I assume they'll have to.
2: I mean, well, we're going to table that for one moment. And I just have to point out, um, Senator, the, the moment we now find ourselves in with the Republican Party working hand in glove to relitigate January 6th, they also find themselves at odds with law enforcement. The statements coming out from the Capitol Police, and I will read an excerpt, Last night, an opinion program, that would be Tucker Carlson, aired commentary that was filled with offensive and misleading conclusions about the January 6th attack. One false allegation is that our officers helped the rioters and acted as tour guides. This is outrageous and false. The program conveniently cherry-picked from the calmer moments of our 41,000 hours of video. The commentary fails to provide context about the chaos and violence that happened before or during these less tense moments. I mean, the the Sicknick family, the family of the fallen Capitol Police officer, says they're outraged by the ongoing attack. They call it unscrupulous and outright sleazy. I mean, I will, I will, I'm gonna repeat, and often the Republican Party proposes itself to be the party of backing the blue of law enforcement, and they are now diametrically opposed to the wishes, beliefs, and versions of reality that are being espoused by law enforcement.
7: And every law enforcement officer in the country watched those officers being yes. run over and attacked. They all put themselves in that place. And now what they're hearing is this party that supposedly has their back is willing to run right over them. And I think that may have more lasting damage than probably Tucker Carlson realizes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I wonder, do you think there will be lasting... I mean, everything feels so ephemeral, right? There is always something outrageous that Fox News is pushing, but this feels like something else. Trying to relitigate January 6th against the wishes of slain police officers, against the, the, the facts that the American public has seen for now years. I mean, does it actually have an effect on Republicans who stand by what Tucker Carlson is doing.
7: Maybe not that two or three million that watch this program. But remember, there were almost 160 million Americans who voted. And a whole lot of police officers watched what those officers went through. Little police officers in small communities, large departments, they all saw what those police officers went through and how they were assaulted. And believe me, they take it personal.
2: Ben, what is the... um... What is the long game for Tucker Carlson in all of this? I mean, you think it's related to the lawsuit, but do you think that he keeps litigating this well past the 40, after he's exhausted his viewing of the 40,000, 44,000 hours of footage?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's this incredible tension between Republicans who are seeking to win national elections. And... Fox and also Republicans who, is, as the former senator says, are trying to like keep the faith with this narrow, intense base who has sometimes you know theories about what happened on January sixth that are totally nuts. And clearly, Tucker's choosing this strategy of just like no, who cares what happens to the Republican Party? We're going to just try to please this hardcore and super serve them. And I think that's a huge threat to you know the rest of the party. Well,
2: it's the first time you're seeing real tension between the long-term governing agenda of the Republican Party and the survival of what, what, is, what calls itself a news network in the face of, oh, trying times, we'll say. <laughs> Claire McCaskill, it is, uh, I'm sorry that we have to be talking about these things, but it's delightful to see you Thank on you, in Alex. person great to be in here. New York City. Uh, ben Smith, please stay with me. We have so much news to get to this evening, like part two of my trip to Florida to see the impact of Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential ambitions weaponized against students and faculty at a beloved public college. But before we get to that, stunning new revelations from that lawsuit against Fox News over its coverage of the big lie, including what is arguably the most incredible email ever written. That is next.
3: Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha, Evolocumab, is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit rapatha.com or call 1 844 rapatha. Talk to your doctor today about rapatha.
2: On January 20th, the owner of the media empire that runs Fox News sat for a deposition in a defamation case against Fox brought by the Dominion Voting Machine Company. One of the things they asked him about was this email he sent to Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott on November 16th, 2020, two weeks after the election. This is the owner of Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, quote, We should concentrate on Georgia, helping any way we can. We don't want to antagonize Trump further. In his deposition, Dominion's lawyers got Murdoch to break that email down. Question. Sir, how did you intend to help in any way you can? Murdoch. I just give exposure to the Republican candidate. Stick a pin in that red-hot partisan admission from the owner of Fox News. We will get back to that. But the deposition continued. Question. Why did Fox News not want to antagonize Trump further on November 16th, 2020, sir? Murdoch. He had a very large following, and they were probably mostly viewers of Fox, so it would have been stupid. For weeks, we have gotten drips and drabs of internal Fox News communications, as they've been quoted in legal filings in the defamation lawsuit between the Dominion Voting Systems Corporation and Fox News. Tonight, the actual raw evidence, the emails, the texts, the deposition transcripts, all of that was released. It is a mountain of material. This is only some of it. And we are still making our way through it. But already there are some broad strokes that are unsettling. The big one is just how far Fox News and its owner, Rupert Murdoch, seemed willing to go to appease former President Trump and his followers, how far they would go not to antagonize them. In another email sent by Rupert Murdoch, this one from November 7th, 2020, Murdoch is pretty explicit about how Fox News held off on calling the 2020 election to avoid angering Trump. Quote. We should and could have gone first, but at least being second saves us a Trump explosion. And this behavior predated the election. On September 25th, Mr. Murdoch sent Trump senior advisor Jared Kushner an email that seemed to say that Murdoch was sending Kushner ads that the Biden campaign had placed on Fox and he was sending them to Kushner before they aired so that Kushner could craft Trump's ad strategy accordingly. In his deposition, Mr. Murdoch was asked to clarify, question, do you think it's appropriate for someone in your position to give a heads up to the opposing campaign about what the ad of the opposing campaign will show before it's public? Murdoch, I was trying to help Mr. Kushner. He's a friend of mine. Question, you were trying to help the Trump campaign by giving a preview of the Biden campaign's ads before it was public? Murdoch, I guess so. This desire not to antagonize Trump also seemed to play a role in just how far Fox News was willing to stretch its journalistic ethics to keep promoting the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump and keep promoting it on their air. As an example, on November 8th of 2020, Fox News' Maria Bartiromo had Trump lawyer Sidney Powell on as a guest to share her evidence of how the election was stolen. As it turns out, the night before, Powell forwarded Bartiromo an email from her source from the person she was basing part of this gigantic claim on. Sidney Powell's source claimed she got her information while, quote, time-traveling in a semi-conscious state, and that she communicated with the wind. The source believes that she was internally decapitated in a car accident in 1992, that she died, felt her soul leave her body, but somehow continues to walk the earth. That person was Fox's source for claims that a presidential election was stolen. And Fox News let Sidney Powell use their airtime to push it. Again, we have barely made a dent reading through all of this. But already, there is a whole lot to discuss. Joining me now is Ben Smith, again, editor-in-chief of Semaphore News, and Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, former federal and state prosecutor. Thank you both for helping me get through some of this mountain of pretty damning evidence. I mean, I guess first to you, Tali, the people that are being quoted in this are not random minions at Fox News. We're talking about Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, who I believe is a chair of Fox, Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox News, Jay Wallace, the president of Fox News, the Fox Corp senior VP, Irina Briganti, the senior executive VP of corporate communications and all of the top top Fox primetime talent. I mean, how meaningful is that in the context of a defamation lawsuit?
8: Well, it's incredibly meaningful, Alex, and particularly in the context of this defamation lawsuit, because given the crush of evidence here, I think we have to ask, well, what are they actually going to argue about mm-hmm. in front of a jury if this case makes its way to a jury, which it seems like it's headed to do? And I think that this is going to be one of the real issues there. If if pressed and if they're backed into a corner, I think that what they might say is, OK, Our guests slide on air, and okay, maybe even some of our hosts slide on air, but that doesn't mean that the entire organization is responsible. And this is really great evidence to say, well, no, everybody knew on the way up the chain that they were knowingly making false statements in their broadcasts and had the opportunities to stop it. You know, one of the most interesting emails in there, one of the most interesting depositions in there is with Viet Dinh, the chief legal officer of Fox, where he has asked, well, doesn't everybody in the chain of command have some responsibility to correct falsehoods and stop them? And he says, yes.
2: Yeah. They, I mean, they, yeah. Admit, they admit they admit they admitted in the deposition. Yeah. And you you mentioned this before we got to this segment. But yeah. th- that's the stuff we know. Right. Right. There are a, there are whole sections of this that are just redacted in their entirety. And one wonders what's in that stuff. Exactly.
8: Because that's been redacted by Fox. Right. Yes. And so this is the stuff, <laughs> this that is the stuff they, they allowed was, us to see was less bad for them. Uh, and, you know, it's It's kind of amazing, this stack, because, you know, Donald Trump has lawyers all around the country pulling their hair out because he never writes anything down. Yes. Well, here, you know, every thought is written down. And what you think really matters in a defamation lawsuit, because what Dominion has to prove is that they acted with actual malice, that they knew that what they were doing was false or they had reckless disregard for the truth. And this is just Over and over again saying exactly what Dominion needs
2: them to be saying in order to prevail in this lawsuit. Um, It's a lot of correspondence, Ben. And purely from a a media standpoint, the, the sourcing for their big fraud lies is... I mean, I, you can't even say it's paper thin. It's completely fabricated. The, the source that we the, we talk about who has an out-of-body experience believes that they were de- internally decapitated. By the way, I don't know what internal decapitation is. I always thought it was chilling. kind of an external. <laughs> yeah, it's <just> chilling. <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff they're putting on air.
4: You're saying none of your sources are ghosts? I
2: have no, no ghost it's... sources. Maybe, maybe I mean, maybe I've been not spreading, casting <laughs> a wide net. You're missing net. out.
4: I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's if you had, I mean, it's exactly what, if you had watched, if you just watched Fox Fox Business during that period. This is basically exactly what you would expect, but like 20% dumber. Basically, which is probably, I mean, that's not on that unusual in, in the world when you imagine there's some brilliant conspiracy and in fact they're all bumbling around. I mean, I think, the, you know, this is, I think it is worth saying this is Dominion's in very, very aggressively argued motion in which they are, and it's very early that they're released really putting all this stuff out. They're doing it in the most embarrassing possible way without context to make Fox look as bad as possible. I think it's worth understanding that when we yes. read these documents. It, it's um, not,
2: it's, there, it's pretty, effective. not that
4: hard. Not that hard to do that. But I do think that's important. and that's that's obviously because they're trying to either get the jury the impression that you know that you know to sort of set the case in public or to sh- show Fox how much worse this can get so that they will settle. But this is there is a level of legal gamesmanship happening here. I think it's worth knowing. I think you'll see Fox argue that well maybe some of our people are total lunatics who believe this. In which case it's not malicious; they're just crazy. And the rest of us were running around trying to clean it up. And there is there's some of that in there too. For there's sure, there's a
2: little bit of that. Do you think that that I mean in terms of the legal strategy, where does Fox? Like, where do they go from here? Right. Uh, I don't think they have great options. But
8: I think the first thing that they might do is just say some of the stuff we said on TV was true. I mean, that is the best defense Mm -hmm. against a defamation claim is the truth. I don't think that's going to get them very far. So I think that what they might try to do is get as many legal issues as they can in front of the jury because the facts are not good for them. And of course, that's not the jury's job. But they might try to get the jury excited about the First Amendment and what this might mean if they are held liable. I think Dominion's excellent legal team is going to try not to let those issues get in front of the jury but that's one of them another legal issue
2: that they might try to bring up is to say well we just created a public square we have to let everybody air out their views including people who get their sort the information from ghosts who are internally decapitated right right. and of course that's not the law publishers of course can be held liable if they knowingly
8: broadcast or print false things uh they might try to work on damages if they're really stuck and say, well, you know, even if we did this, $1.6 billion is a stunt. How do you arrive at that number? That's just to get attention. Uh, you can't possibly have been damaged to that extent. Uh, but, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be on their
2: legal team right now. I mean, none of these are really excellent strategies. I mean, yeah, one point six. It's one point six billion. Am I right, everyone? Uh, Yeah, Uh, that's a lot of money. Do you think that negotiating over settlements could be part of this in the end?
8: To settle would for them, for Fox, would I mean to admit that they knowingly lied on air over and over and over again, which is is not a great, you know, business yeah. decision for them to make. Uh, so uh, but does, I don't quite see it going that way. I think that they're going to do
2: their best on their legal motions and in front of the jury. Do you think it matters? I mean, and I understand that it's not a great business call to have to say, oh, we lied about this <laughs> major thing. But does that matter to the Fox News audience? One, one, they're not covering this on Fox.
4: No, the, I mean, the basic Fox bet, and you see it in the doc, you see it how they talk, is that they have to show respect for their audience. And the way you respect your audience is you tell them whatever they want to hear, whether it's true or false. That is, that's, I mean, that's not how most of us in this business, you know, do our jobs. It's a pressure you always feel in media that I think good journalists resist and that they are totally, totally committed to that. And they exist in this kind of closed loop with some of their audience where I actually think... You know, what they what the New York Times reported that Fox said in a, you know, black letter legal brief that that'll never make it to their audience.
2: Well, we are going to talk about it because there's more to come. This is, again, not all of it. People who
4: switched from Tucker to this show are going (laughs) to get an education.
2: All two of you. Ben Smith, Tali Farhadi and Weinstein, it's great to see you both. Thank you for helping me uncover some of the truth uh, behind ghost sources. Appreciate it. We have still more to come tonight as we head down to Florida for more of my trip to an embattled Florida college where teachers are finding out what life under Governor Ron DeSantis is really like. Then and today, that as today, DeSantis and his Republican-controlled legislature got to work on advancing even more of his agenda. We'll have all of that coming up for you next.
5: This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at paycor.com/leaders. That's p a y c o r.com/leaders.
1: We will stand strong, we will hold the line,
0: we won't back down, and I can promise you this, you ain't seen nothing yet. Thank you all, God bless you.
2: This morning, the Florida legislature launched its 2023 session with Governor Ron DeSantis' State of the State address. The governor rattled off his legislative accomplishments in the past year, preventing life-saving vaccine mandates, shipping unknowing asylum seekers across the country, and giving parents the right to help the state restrict teaching on race, gender, sexual orientation, and history. A highlight reel, if you will. The governor ended with the promise of more. Today, the state House and Senate, each with Republican supermajorities, promptly got to work on the governor's new legislative agenda, like a six-week abortion ban, which was introduced this morning. It would ban the procedure before many people even know they're pregnant. It is far from the only item on this session's Republican legislative agenda. There is a gun bill that would allow most Floridians to carry a concealed firearm, no permit needed. A bill that would allow a judge to hand down a death sentence without a unanimous jury. And a bill that would lower the bar to sue media organizations for defamation. While we're not sure if everything the legislature is working on will get the governor's signature, it's undeniable that the war on woke really is just getting started. The House today put forward a bill that would block the removal of Confederate monuments. If the governor signs that one, it will take effect in July. The legislature is also taking up a bevy of education bills, including an expansion of the so-called Don't Say Gay Law. It would prohibit discussions of gender and sexual orientation through eighth grade. And a bill that outlaws college spending on diversity, equity and inclusion programs and erodes faculty tenure, and eliminates majors and minors in subjects that are considered too woke. That last bill is one of the many DeSantis-initiated changes that has made professors at New College in Sarasota extremely worried. Last week, I visited the Public Liberal Arts School, again in Sarasota, to speak to faculty about the way Governor DeSantis has been targeting their workplace, using New College as a sort of trial run in his efforts to overhaul American education. What's the climate among the faculty? Are you guys worried for your jobs? The faculty are trying to do what we
5: can to navigate this, right? Right. So we have some protections, and thankfully we have a faculty union, we have a collective bargaining agreement. Not all faculty members have the same uh, amount of protections, uh, but we are... You know, true to being professionals and trying to navigate the change in the best way that we can navigate the change.
1: Well, it's definitely been, you know, stressful. Um, it was, I think, a surprise, at least to me. Um, and this, just the speed with which everything has proceeded over the last month and a half has been a little bit shocking. And we're just in a moment of a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I think there's a really wide range of possible outcomes for the college in the next couple of years. And, it's just really not clear which outcome we're going to end up at. I'm optimistic that this can be a place that preserves the essence of, of, of what I love about the college. And in that case, I want to stay here, and I want to be here for my students.
5: The truth of the matter is it might not be up to me whether or not I stay or not. So what I'm doing is continuing to teach, being mindful of the law, of course, right? To have a teacher
2: at a college say, when I'm teaching, I'm mindful of the law. I'm not saying teachers are above the law, but I think the idea that like there's a concern now in classrooms that you have to worry about the law and that what you say may be, you know, used against you or the students or in some way the college. That's very real. Feels like a very
5: new America. That is very real because we have um, different. Uh, bills that have been passed in the state of Florida, but absolutely, right? There's a way in which there's an intrusion into the classroom in a way that we haven't seen before. People are taking books off their syllabus. People are taking books off their syllabi. People are shutting down programs. People are not teaching certain classes. Do you think you're going to be able to teach in the way that you have been? I will, time tells, right, time will tell.
2: The Florida legislature recently introduced a bill that among other things would officially end degrees in gender studies in in the state of Florida. Uh, It'll dictate university curricula. It will take the hiring of faculty out of faculty hands and it will give governing boards the power to review the tenure status of college faculty at any moment in which they please. What are the implications of that legislation passing?
1: When you put the curriculum in the hands of politicians and political appointees, I think you're in trouble. And I think you weaken a system, and again, it's in a marketplace of other systems. And so faculty will go elsewhere. I think that's, that's, that's what it portends for the, the state system. And I'm, yeah, I'm worried for the system as a whole.
2: It'll starve the state of
1: teaching talent. Yeah, I'm worried about brain drain from Florida.
2: We'll have even more from my reporting trip to Florida's new college in the coming days. But up next, five women in Texas decided to fight back today against laws that put their health and their lives at risk. The details when we come back.
6: I cannot adequately put into words the trauma and despair that comes with waiting to either lose your own life Your child's life, or both? For days, I was locked in this bizarre and avoidable hell. Would Willow's heart stop, or would I deteriorate to the brink of death? The answer arrived three very long days later. In a matter of minutes, I went from being physically healthy to developing sepsis, a condition in which bacteria in the blood develops into infection with the ability to kill in under an hour. I spent the next three days in the intensive care unit surrounded by my family who booked last minute flights because they feared for my life. I spent another three days in the less critical unit of the hospital, all because I was denied access to reasonable healthcare due to Texas's new abortion bans. What I needed was an abortion, a standard medical procedure.
2: That was the lead plaintiff who, along with four other women, has just filed a new lawsuit challenging Texas's extreme abortion bans. The five women have one thing in common. They all sought out abortions in the state of Texas because their pregnancies posed life-threatening risks to either their own lives or that of their fetuses, and they were all denied that critical health care. And now this coalition of women is suing the state of Texas in the first lawsuit of its kind since Roe v. Wade was overturned, where pregnant people themselves are challenging the state's abortion ban. Joining us now is Nancy Northrup, president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, the organization that helped bring this lawsuit. Nancy, thanks for being here tonight. I know you've had a very busy day. I'd love to just get to the sort of substance of this lawsuit because you all are the plaintiffs are not seeking to overturn Texas's very extreme ban, but, but instead looking to clarify that physicians can offer, I believe, or make exceptions in life-threatening cases. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you decided to pursue that route?
9: Yes, but before we talk about the law, if I could just say something about the four women who were there today, the five that have filed this lawsuit, you know, they never wanted to be in front of those mics in front of the Texas state capitol, but Texas has caused this harm to them. They wanted to have healthy pregnancies. They didn't. And when their pregnancies had severe complications, they were forced to undergo threat to their life and their health. Four of them had to leave the state of Texas. Amanda, as you just heard, went into sepsis because they would not give her care. And that is because of the abortion ban in the state of Texas. So yes, I will talk about the legal theory, but it was such an honor to be there with these brave women today as they stood up to a state that has you know, imposed a 99-year prison sentence uh, in the case of abortion. So, what we are challenging here is the fact that you should be able to get medical care in the doctor's judgment when it is needed because you have a threat to your health or your life, and including the threat to your future fertility. You know, this is what these women had at risk, as well as their health, their life, their future fertility. And we are saying that the emergency exception, uh, which is totally unclear right now in the state of Texas. Has to be made clear that it's the doctor in consultation with the patient who is making that judgment. Can,
2: and I, I absolutely want to focus on the stories of the women here who absolutely seem like they would have standing, given the harm that was inflicted, uh, as you say, not just on them, their un, the the unborn, but also their future their future selves, right? Their for their ability to have children down the line if they choose to do that. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of this lawsuit? I mean, I can imagine coming forward to have to share this story with anybody, but to have to be a lead plaintiff or any kind of plaintiff in such a nationally discussed lawsuit has got to be intimidating at best. Uh, How did these women come together to, to file this lawsuit?
9: Well, of course, it's a hard decision to make and was considered for months. They'd just been through pregnancy crises. They were mourning from those experiences and recovering. And it's not easy to take on the state of Texas, but they decided to do so. And also in our complaint, which is 91 pages long, we also put in there the stories beyond the five plaintiffs in this case. We put in the stories of other women in the state of Texas who have gone into medical complications and been denied abortion care in other states across the country, Ohio, Alabama, Louisiana, and more. This isn't something that's just happening to these five women or just happening in the state of Texas. It's happening across the country because when states ban abortion care, they make every pregnancy a dangerous situation. It's so true. I
2: think the politicians in the state of Texas really miscalculated what was going to happen, especially on public opinion, once women started coming forward with their stories. Do you think that this could actually sway some Texas lawmakers into understanding how draconian this law is?
9: You know, unfortunately, they have not been listening to date. They could have fixed this. They could have clarified this. You know, it's now March Roe was reversed back in June, but it should. It should shock the conscience of every single one of those lawmakers in the state of Texas who have enacted these blanket bans on abortion. I'll just say, you know, these women's stories, this case is dealing with these particular stories of pregnancy complications, but really every person who's denied the right to an abortion in Texas should have that right. It is a
2: national problem, even if we are focused on this specific group of women. Nancy Northrop, president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you, Alex. That is the show for tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow.
0: Top Two is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy.